0: Welcome to the spin cycle. I'm Maggie Saracek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters.
1: Hello, Anxiety Sisters, and welcome to our show. Today's topic is a really important one, and one we both want to learn more about. We're talking about meditation, specifically as a technique to manage anxiety. So, Max, do you meditate? I
0: do meditate. I've been trying to do it more consistently. I have to say that I'm still working on that. Yeah. But I do meditate, and um, I particularly like the self-compassion meditations. Yeah, that is helpful. As is usually
1: the case, you and I come at things completely differently, right? You're right. We're yin and yang here. Right. So for me, uh, I always thought meditation was really woo-woo. You know, like I thought it was one of those way out there kind right. of things that people who, you know, I thought it was related somehow to like the zodiac. <laughs> I, mean, right. I really didn't understand what meditation was. But a lot of what I have learned about it comes from today's guest. She was the program director at Green Mountain, and we've talked a lot about Green Mountain on the show. That's a retreat for women who struggle with. It was yes, it recently closed, but it was a retreat for women who struggle with disordered eating, and I was a frequent guest there for about five years. And the program director was today's guest, Shiri Sherry Macri, and she taught classes in everything, but particularly in meditation, which I went to because I didn't. Find anything else on the schedule at first that I thought would be fun. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, all right, I'll go to this meditation thing. And I walked out of there with a completely different perspective of what meditation is and how it can help not only with general well being and health, but also specifically with anxiety. So, with Shiri's help, I began a mindfulness meditation practice like really, really slowly because mm-hmm. I had a hard time sitting still. I was doing about five to 10 minutes a day. And honestly, within a couple of weeks, huge reduction in overall anxiety and here was the part that I really noticed I I became so much less likely to freak out right away Mm -hmm. like I would pause and I never did that before in my life I never paused but meditation somehow was teaching me to take that breath before going into complete and total spin cycle Mm -hmm. most of my panic attacks ended when I started my meditation practice
0: Mm-hmm. And do you meditate every day? I do not do it every day.
1: I, I mean, I would like to say that I do because I think about it every day, yeah. but I do meditate a lot. I right. would say I, try, I would try to, to do it at least three or four times a week. But I know that if I were to do it every day, it would be so beneficial. So let me introduce our guest. Okay. Currently. Our guest is Shiri Macri. She is a licensed clinical mental health counselor who has been practicing as a therapist for more than 15 years. Her primary areas of focus are anxiety, as well as trauma and eating disorders, Shiri has many years of specialized training in using various treatment methods, including mindfulness-based modalities, such as MDSR, Mm -hmm. which is mindfulness-based stress reduction. And as an anxiety sister herself, Shiri has seen the incredible benefits of using mindfulness-based strategies for easing anxiety, not
0: only for her clients, but also for herself. Hi, Shiri. Hi, Abby and Maggie. So ah, good to hear your voices. Good to hear your voices. And um, just for our listeners, Sherry is one of the people I want to be when I grow up. Me too. <laughs> Even though she's, you know, quite a bit younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> i have to say that my one of my favorite things about Sherry, other than the fact
1: that she lights up a room,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that she has the best voice. When I went to your my first meditation class that you were teaching, your voice just took me to a different place.
2: Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I'm actually getting over a little bit of a cold. So you may hear a little raspiness. But anyway, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. We like the raspiness. Oh, so tell us a little bit about um,
0: what medication, what medication, what meditation is exactly and
2: how it works, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Give us a little background. Sure. Yeah. And I love the little Freudian slip, medication, meditation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that because, um, <laughs> because essentially, I mean, and I don't want to over inflate meditation, but when we talk about, and I know you've done some shows on medication for anxiety and it's not to minimize that, but essentially part of what we're trying to do when we meditate uh, in a state of anxiety or to manage anxiety is it's almost very similar to what we're trying to do with medication. So it's a very it's a very appropriate um, Freudian slip, so to speak. <laughs> but meditation, essentially what it is, it's a practice where somebody's using a, a specific technique to focus attention on a particular object uh, or a thought or an activity that's essentially what meditation is and um, just to differentiate mindfulness and meditation mindfulness is um, I think of it as like an umbrella. Uh, mindfulness is where we have non-judgmental awareness and there's different ways to become mindful. One of the ways that, that we can do that is through a meditation practice by focusing on one particular object or thought or an activity. So that's just to differentiate the two.
0: Right, right.
1: Okay. Now we've talked to our anxiety sisters about some very elementary neuroscience. And so everyone who listens to the show knows about our friend, the amygdala, Mm -hmm. which is that almond shaped part of the brain, part of your limbic system that definitely has a big hand in anxiety. Um, And we've read, and I remember you saying too, in some of your classes that meditation has, has been shown to calm the amygdala.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and um, there's a a growing body of evidence that's uh, pointing in that direction. And I just read a, a really, really interesting uh, article about that. Just a, a little bit about that. So like you said, the, the amygdala, this is our um, kind of our stress center of the brain. The amygdala plays a big part in our fight, flight, and freeze reactions. So when we're faced with something dangerous or threatening or uh, even challenging. Uh, The amygdala is a part of reacting and putting us into a fight, flight, or freeze reaction. And mindfulness behaves, mindfulness in a meditative practice behaves as a, a pause button. I think you mentioned that, Abby, a, a minute ago. It sort of comes in between the amygdala's reaction and what we actually do, uh, just to sort of put it sort of simply. So that um, makes
1: sense why I started to pause. I didn't put the two together, but now that makes total sense.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And so, the, the thing to note, though, is we want this. We want to have this stress reaction. This is part of human survival. Prehistoric human stepped out of their cave and there's a saber-toothed tiger. That's uh, where fight, flight, freeze comes in and makes sure, so to speak, that we can fight that tiger off, run as fast as we can, or play dead, whatever we need to do to survive that threat, that danger. Now anxiety is the anticipation of that. Right? So um, this is why we can become stressed and 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 go into a fight or flight reaction when there is no danger. Anxiety sort of tells Prehistoric human, don't go out of your cave because there might be a saber toothed tiger out there. As we know, anxiety can, in some scenarios, be pretty life-limiting. Then you're sort of stuck in your cave, and you can't, you can't go out. With anxiety, we're constantly thinking about what might go wrong. This is a cognitive process; it's a thinking process, and it happens in the prefrontal cortex. Um, so the thoughts send a signal to the amygdala, and that activates the uh, stress reaction. In this article that I read, it it was put so beautifully. It's sort of like the amygdala is watching cortex TV you know it's like uh, the amygdala is watching what's happening in the cortex and when the cortex thinks about something dangerous the amygdala reacts to that thinking and and activates that that stress reaction
1: right so meditation it mediates between
2: the cortex and the amygdala exactly exactly so what's actually happening so what researchers are finding is that the practice of mindfulness, including meditation, decouples the stress center from the thinking center, and it kind of gives people a little bit more distance from the anxiety. So it's it's sort of like being able, over time, this is not instantaneous, but over time and with practice, you're able to observe that that's happening from a bit of a distance, which dampens the stress. Right. Right. Right.
0: Because so often for so many of us anxiety sisters, anxiety is the first impulse. Right. You know, Abby always says if she hears the word panic, her brain thinks, oh, I should panic. And so meditation is able to sort of break that cycle a little bit for us to carve a new
2: new way of thinking. I mean, it definitely, it it helps with the rewiring process. Uh, it definitely helps with that. There's really interesting research that has also found that through the practice of meditation, the amygdala actually even becomes less dense. Uh, It's fascinating. And and it's described as though like you're pruning neurons from the amygdala, like trees, you know, you're, you're pruning it, which makes us less reactive. Oh,
1: that's wow! I, I need my amygdala shaved right down. Yeah. And, uh,
2: <laughs>
0: what type of meditation works best, do you think, for anxiety sufferers? Because there's a lot of different types of meditation.
2: It's- yep, absolutely. So what I what I want to acknowledge before going there um, is that we're talking about anxiety. We're all anxiety sisters here. So what I don't want to do is uh, create any kind of rigid rule here. Right. <laughs> I, I don't want people to have an all or nothing sense of what's right versus what's wrong. Okay. Because the truth is that it all counts. Everything really, really does count when it comes to what type and how long a person meditates, that regardless of what you do, you're sort of strengthening the mindfulness muscle in the brain that, that we all have within us. It's all, it's all there. Okay? So, so that is true. So, no matter which way a person decides to start, it matters. It counts, and it's going to eventually make an impact. And at the same time, yes, you're right. There is some interesting research out there uh, in terms of what type and how long. So, loving kindness meditation has been shown to have a pretty significant effects on general stress. Slash anxiety, slash depression. In other words, when a person practices loving kindness meditation with some kind of consistency, what actually happens is the happiness centers of the brain light up Um, there was a a really interesting study. I think it was in 2010. It was called a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. And I won't go into all the details, but essentially what they found is one of the participants in the study is a known Buddhist monk that happened to really love practicing loving kindness meditation. And they were amazed by how much his happiness centers light up. And they, they titled him the happiest man on earth. And it's really just because he's practicing loving kindness meditation. I have two
0: questions. One is like, how much do you need to have meditation benefit for you?
2: Give yourself permission to do anything, anytime and know that it all counts. And what the research is showing is that the consistency is more important than the quantity. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. so regular practice and, and again, don't, you know, with non-judgment here, um, consistency might mean that some weeks you do it and some weeks you don't. But over a span of several years, you you have some kind of consistent practice, right? So, so pan out. But if we want to look at that in, in a little bit more detail, what they've found is that three days in a row or more can really make an impact on anxiety and stress and how long again remembering that anything counts and i want to re-emphasize that as much as possible here it's between an eight to ten minute practice three days in a row or more is where we really start to see some, some that, that benefits.
1: That makes so much sense because the most consistent I ever was with my meditation practice was the, the four weeks I spent at Green Mountain. Mm-hmm. I was doing it every day, and that's when I saw the, the most results in terms of a, a general feeling of calm that I yeah. I that I, I don't get when I meditate less frequently.
2: Wow. Yeah. So, what I recommend to people is start absolutely anywhere. If it's one minute, start with one minute. You know, maybe it's one minute a few times a day. Maybe it's five minutes at the beginning and end of your day. Try to be consistent, re- remembering that the consistency is the important piece. And what happens, and I wonder if this happened for you, is you get that general sense of calm over a period of time. And then it's like you crave it. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, and that craving for the calm is what builds the practice. You just want more of it, so you do. Maybe one minute becomes two, or five minutes becomes six. Yeah, it, it does. It becomes very self-reinforcing.
0: If we have a listener right now who's listening to this podcast, and and they don't know how to start, what would you say? Like they have okay, they're like okay, I'll try
2: it for a minute. What would you? tell them to focus on? Would it be their breath or? Yeah. So diaphragmatic breathing is really, really powerful. So if people aren't familiar with what I mean, when I say diaphragmatic breathing, it's when you breathe in, you expand your belly. A lot of people will breathe from their chest and, and that's fine. We've been breathing from the second we came into this world, but the diaphragmatic breathing really has a, a kind of a, biochemical physiological reaction, I guess, that pushes us out of stress and towards relaxation without us having any control of that. What I mean is, and there's some really amazing, interesting research from Dr. Stephen Porges on the polyvagal theory, um, but essentially our vagus nerve uh, is also connected to our diaphragm. And when we engage in diaphragmatic breathing, It uh, sends a signal back to the brain that tells us that we're safe. We can't have deep diaphragmatic breaths when we're in a state of survival. We're usually breathing very quickly and shallow. So when we engage diaphragmatic breathing, it tells the brain that we're safe, which has a calming effect. So so if there's any way that somebody might start this process is just through diaphragmatic breaths five breaths, maybe 10 breaths, as many as you can fit in or, or you're, you're willing and able to will make a big difference.
1: And it's really helpful. When you taught me how to breathe diaphragmatically, you told me to put my hands on my belly mm-hmm. so that I could feel when I was doing, when, when, I, when I did the, the breath, that I could feel my belly rise.
2: Right. Some people will lay down and put something on their belly. You can put your hand on your belly or you can put an object on your belly. And then, and then when you're breathing in, you try to make that object rise. And that's a great way to practice that. How many counts would you breathe in for? Yeah. I'm so glad you're asking that question again. I I tend to be a little bit of a, a research nerd. There is also research on that. And what's been found is that the longer that you can extend your exhale, the better you're able to get into that parasympathetic, relaxed state. So I I try to suggest that you double the exhale from, from the inhale, if right. if possible. Like in for three, out for six. You know, some of these practices date back thousands and thousands of years. So it's just kind of be, having in the recent decades, even, uh, grown in popularity. And, and it's because there's more research to it. I think, I think people want to find something that works, but there's, uh, understandable skepticism. And so the fact that there's more research and science behind it gives people permission to go back to some of these ancient practices that really do make an impact.
0: Right. And the breath in, when you're doing diaphragmatic breathing should be through your nose.
2: Right. Right. In, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Although again, we have been breathing since the second we came into this world. So I want to emphasize to people, we already know how to do this. And yes, there's, there's definitely research on specific techniques, but honestly just bringing your focus to breath will already change the way that we breathe, which is what brings us into that parasympathetic state.
1: So we hear from anxiety sisters all the time that they really want to meditate and they're trying to meditate, but they can't sit still. And I know that's familiar to you because I've said it to you that I can't sit still. But what what do you say to people who, who find it sort of anxiety provoking to have to mm-hmm. sit still for five or eight or 10 minutes?
2: Yeah. I mean the first thing I would say is to is to stop trying. If this is painful in in any way, you don't want to try to force something that's not going well. And for many people especially with anxiety or trauma or people with hyperactivity or impulsivity, it can even be torturous to just sit. So if if that's the case, first of all like like we were just talking about Diaphragmatic breathing can be an easier way to start. Just commit to three or five diaphragmatic breaths, something really attainable. But if, even if that is difficult, yoga is a meditation practice. It's, it's considered active meditation, um, but it's under the umbrella of mindfulness practices. And some people that find it hard to sit and breathe or, or do a, a guided meditation they do find it easier to get into a meditative practice through yoga. And and I don't mean power yoga or hot yoga. Those are those are great, They're great for, you know, exercise or whatever, but I mean like a like a yoga practice like a vinyasa or a restorative where it's really connecting the breath to the body. True yoga practice helps bring people out of the mind which can carry us into anxious narratives into the body, which, which is a meditation practice.
1: And you, and you once told me about um, walking meditation.
2: Yeah. Informally, it's really about paying attention to what's around you when you're, when you're walking, whether you're paying attention to your body, or paying attention to sounds, but there's also a formal, mindfulness-based walking meditation people can look it up it's it's through the mbsr class and i can talk more about that if you'd like uh but there's a, a walking meditation that really brings your attention to the physical act of walking which is that really fun. helped
1: me because i was having a hard time sitting still so you said to me go out take a little walk and just try to notice things around you sounds and smells and you know you you made it very informal for me and very easy. Basically, you were saying take a walk in the woods. Yeah, but it was very meditative, and it then helped me be able to sit and do the breathing that way. So that was that was really helpful.
2: Great. No, yeah, it can be a uh, it can be a really helpful way for people to start, especially if people feel kind of like hopeless, like I just can't do this, and and uh, there there are there are ways to to get into it that can feel more attainable.
0: Are there people for whom Meditation or trying to start a meditation practice is is kind of counterindicated in terms of their mental health issues.
2: Yeah, there can be, especially with trauma. So um, Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking of. So it's important that if you have a, a trauma history and you try to practice meditation and it triggers you and, and you get sent into a stress reaction, it's really important to not try to force that, to work with a professional on um, how to manage that and build in a mindfulness practice in a, in a different way.
1: Do you have some favorite meditation resources?
2: I do. (laughs) I tend to hoard mindfulness apps. Um, My kids laugh at me. But there's one particular app that I really, really love, especially for anxiety. It's called Unwinding Anxiety. Have you heard of it?
1: Unwinding Anxiety? No. No,
2: I have not. okay. Okay, so it's absolutely wonderful. Dr. Judson Brewer is the person who put this app out. He's got a few apps out. He is a psychiatrist and he's done a lot of work with Jon Kabat-Zinn at the Center for Mindfulness at UMass University of Massachusetts. And for people who don't know, Jon Kabat-Zinn is sort of considered a modern day founder of mindfulness. Um, He didn't invent it, but he's really known. He has a lot of books out if you want to check out his work. And so Judson Brewer has uh, worked very closely with John Cabotson for years and years and years, and and I'm I'm not giving him a proper bio. So if by chance he happens to be listening, I apologize. Uh, uh, I hope so too. Anyway, this Unwinding Anxiety app, it's a mindfulness-based app from a a real expert who who really, really gets it. And I love the the title, Unwinding Anxiety, because the way this app works, it, it literally unwinds it step by step by step in what i feel is a really attainable way so it's a it's a program i I can't remember if it's a six or eight week program through this app where every day there's a lesson and a practice very short Uh, i want to say it's like 10 minutes of uh, combined each day where you you listen to a little bit of a lesson and there's a video and then there's a practice and it builds on itself. It doesn't let you go ahead until you've done the previous lesson. Once you've done that daily lesson, it also has the option of, of going into it like if you're in a moment of stress or in a moment of anxiety and there's little practices that you can do kind of in the heat of the moment.
1: Wow. I'm really glad you told us about that because we did not know.
0: So Sherry, we have a lot of anxiety sisters that are either undergoing treatment for cancer or are cancer survivors or have other chronic life-threatening health conditions. They'll often say, you know, I have all this anxiety, but it's it's sort of well-founded because I've had this terrible health crisis or I'm going through a terrible health crisis. And I was wondering whether meditation could be helpful in this capacity
2: absolutely as i just mentioned john kabat zinn he created a, a class called mbsr mindfulness based stress reduction and the original intent of the class is to work with participants with chronic pain and or chronic illness this was i think the first study on MBSR it was either 1979 or 1982 and since that time there's hundreds of studies that have found that through attending this MBSR class and or practicing mindfulness participants see improvements not only in psychological and emotional well-being but also in physical and maybe medical well-being. You've got a condition, whatever that condition is, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, whatever it is, pain. And then there's stress about the fact that you have this condition. What we know is that stress impacts our health. Stress okay. essentially causes inflammation, which can impact that very condition that we're dealing with. So a mindfulness practice, an MBSR, in whatever way that we do it, can help manage that stress, which in turn impacts that original condition. Now, it depends on a lot of factors, so I'm not going to say that mindfulness takes cancer away. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it's a different experience when you take the stress away about the cancer or about the um, heart disease, et cetera. And and there is significant research on that. I um, am a breast cancer survivor myself, and I had begun a mindfulness practice uh, long prior to my diagnosis. And I can't tell you how grateful I was to have that through all of my procedures and all of my treatments. And and you had just mentioned, is there any situation where it's counterproductive to meditate? I was not, throughout my whole breast cancer experience, I was not able to sit and meditate for long periods of time. It was, my thoughts just went into really dark, dark places. But what I was able to do is have what I describe as tiny, tiny little micro moments Throughout my day and throughout my days, repeatedly. So it might have added up to a half an hour a day, but it was tiny little 30 second moments where I was just bringing attention to one tiny little part of my body that wasn't hurting. So, anyway, I had my own way of doing it, but it helped bring me out of the darkness that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: Yeah, that's really powerful. That is powerful. I'm very helpful. Thank you for sharing
1: that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. while you're being so generous and sharing, would you share with us a little bit about your own personal journey as an anxiety sister?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, so like many of your listeners, I'm, I'm definitely an anxiety sister myself. In hindsight, I have been anxious my whole life. It was sort of like brewing lightly throughout my life i think it's attributed to many different things moving around so much as a kid i think perpetuated it and you know definitely fueled social anxiety but it was just sort of lightly there throughout my life it was it was really when my kids were born that it really increased and and it was uh, uh, for me it was about kind of like oh my goodness how am i going to protect my beautiful babies from this world that can sometimes be so scary and stressful and harsh. So, so those were my anxious thoughts all the time. So many women
1: in our, in our group, so many have said that really, and I, and I actually feel that for me too, my anxiety spiked. I, I had certainly plenty of anxious moments before that, but my anxiety spiked when I became a mom.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, you just want to do the best you can, especially as an anxious person, really perfectionistic, you know, and and you can't, you just can't. So I started with diaphragmatic breathing. I would, I would do, you know, there's all different kinds of breathing techniques. I would do a rectangle breath, so to speak. It was in for four out for seven. So I would, you know, I would just take a, a deep diaphragmatic breath periodically, and then I'd take five And then I'd take 10. And then before I knew it, I was like diaphragmatic breathing for five minutes. And in other words, meditating. And then when I went back to work full time, it really spiked. My anxiety really spiked. Uh, Leaving my kids was really, really hard for me. or, Or I looked at it as leaving them. And so I took MBSR. And that for me was absolutely a lifesaver, just a complete lifesaver.
1: Did you do that online or did you go and do it with John Kabat
2: Oh, I, I wish I did it with John Kabat Zinn. No, I. I went and did it locally. There's a place, there's a lot of um, people that have been certified to teach it. So I went and did it locally. And then I actually went and took the teacher training. So now I'm a MBSR teacher. Oh, no. I did get to go see John Kabat-Zinn at Omega at, a, at one of his uh, retreats. He, he does a week long retreat at Omega. And I went and saw him there. That was an amazing experience.
1: it must have been unbelievable. Yeah. We, we really encourage our listeners to listen to some of his guided meditations. He's got tons of them and mm-hmm. some of them are, are free. You can get on the internet from his website. I actually have a CD. I'm such a dinosaur. I actually have a CD of his meditations, which are really great.
2: Yeah. He's an amazing human, but it was MBSR that I really felt like it saved my life. Again, I don't want to make people think that they have to do this in order to get the benefit. MBSR, I look at it as an immersion into mindfulness. So if somebody goes to MBSR, wonderful. But if somebody can immerse themselves into a consistent practice, they can get a lot of uh, similar benefits from it. Thank you so
0: much for that. That was really interesting. Oh, yeah, Sherry, that was really, really great. We're so appreciative
1: that you took some of your family time. Oh, and we yeah. still, I know you're very busy with your schedule lately, and so thank you for joining us on a Sunday. And we really, really hope to get up to Vermont soon. You know we love Vermont so much,
2: and we love, spending time, and
1: we love spending time with you up there, so we'll have to do that again
0: soon. Yeah, and we're staying with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, again, thank you, Sherry Macri who is our meditation expert and a wonderful human being, mm-hmm. a really compassionate and kind soul who has a lot of expertise in anxiety treatment and in eating disorders and in trauma. And she has been a huge influence in our lives. So we feel really grateful. We have a big announcement. Very big,
0: huge. Maggie. Huge. There's an H huge. Okay. I am from Long Island. Oh, I don't want to hear it. This, this is, is how about we our say announcement.
1: <laughs> <laughs> our e-course Stop the Spinning is now available to the public. In fact, our next session starts Monday, May 20th, which is a week from Monday. Wow,
0: okay. It's a 5-week at your own pace online program, which means you can participate from Anywhere, including your bed
1: we love when you can participate in your pajamas
0: yes we think the whole your whole life should be able to be lived in your bed in your pajamas I
1: know my husband always says the best invention would be a bed car <laughs> yes it would be <laughs> the course is based on the latest research in the mental health field and real world tried and true anxiety management techniques also are wildly entertaining senses of humor
0: yes and you can do this course wherever you are in your anxiety journey you will get videos,
1: MP3 downloads, activities, exercises, a live call with both of us, and access to an intimate group discussion board where will be available to you every single day. Mm-hmm. And if you enjoyed this podcast with Sheree Macri and you're thinking that maybe you'd like to try meditation, we help you start your own practice during the course.
0: I know some of you might be thinking, how do I do an e-course? Like, do I have enough technology expertise? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> If you can listen to this podcast, you can do the e-course. The technology will be no problem for you, and we will walk you through everything if you yeah, do absolutely. get lost or confused. But you absolutely will not. We've,
1: made, we've designed the course to be really user-friendly.
0: Incredibly.
1: Now, because we want you to have a really personalized experience, we're limiting the class size. So if you are interested in the May 20th course, go to our website, anxietysisters.com, and register ASAP. Mm-hmm. How many spots are left, I think?
0: I think Is we have five it's... spots wow, left really because far. we're okay. really limiting these, these classes. Yeah, we
1: want to get to know everyone in each course, so we're keeping it small. So if you think you might want to hang out with us for a while, don't wait.
0: Thank you for joining us, and remember, anxiety, anxiety sisters, don't, don't go, go it alone. alone.
1: You've been listening to The Spin Cycle. An Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.